scripture reading for today comes from the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verses 25 to 29. This is the word of the Lord. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking, for when they did not escape, when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for God is a consuming fire. As a word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you just for this, um, this time we can gather and... Uh, you know, today in particular, uh, I want to ask God that you uh, speak to us uh, in powerful ways. And, you know, no doubt this year 2020 has been um, a very unique year and uh, in many ways a very difficult year. Uh, but God, we also know that you're in control of all things and you orchestrate things um, uh, not only for your glory, but uh, for uh, the sake of your people and for your church. And so give us spiritual eyes today. Uh, give us uh, eyes to see and ears to hear, uh, because what we want to do, what's best for us is to really be um, in line and walking with uh, where the Spirit is leading. And so help us to do that uh, and give us um, give us some strong conviction today, uh, not necessarily coming from me, but uh, perhaps as a community as we try to discern uh, some of the things that you're doing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Good morning, everybody. You know what I want to, so we just finished our series on First John, and you know, I've been thinking about what to do next, but there is like this passage that has just kind of stuck with me for like a couple months. And so in a way, I just kind of need to like get it off my chest and uh, talk about this passage. I actually preached on this passage uh, last year uh, when we went through the series on Hebrews, and I also preached on the passage that Hebrews is quoting from Haggai chapter 2. And I don't know why, but uh, this idea, this theme uh, of shaking, it just it's kind of stayed with me. And especially in the pandemic, uh, it's something that I've been thinking about a lot. So what I'm going to do today, I'm just going to kind of do this one-off sermon uh, before we start our next series. And, you know, I know everybody has things in their own lives that you're, you're focused on. And you're focused on things like work and things like family and things like school and things like not getting sick and things not and things like not spreading uh, this virus and you know because of that uh, anything else that in life it's probably been much more difficult to focus on and anything else in life has been more complicated due to this uh, pandemic that we're in but i guess what i want to do is uh, at least for this moment and for this to this day um if we could just kind of forget about all the details in our lives that we're, we're worried about right now and really try to focus on you know if God were doing something during this time, and as I said, 2020 is a very unusual year, um, wouldn't it be terrible if we were so preoccupied with the details of our lives that we, we missed what God was doing in this world? Uh, so before I begin, uh, I want to make an assumption. And this assumption, uh, I think maybe to some people will sound like common sense, but I think to other people, uh, it may sound kind of crazy. Uh, but here's my assumption. You know, we, we have all kinds of interpretive lenses in terms of how we view 
the world, how we view the events in history, how we ev view even current events. And I remember um, one of my church history professors from uh, seminary, I remember he told the story once when he was a, a PhD student and he was in a secular university. And I guess in his like cohort, there were all kinds of historians who were looking at history through all kinds of perspectives and all sorts of interpretive lenses. So there's like the post-colonial lens, there is the uh, economic lens, there's a political lens, there's the feminist lens, the postmodern lens, and like all, all these historians looking at history from a particular perspective and interpreting events of history from a particular perspective. And he said, actually, uh, all those different perspectives were validated in his cohort, except for his own perspective as a Christian. And as a Christian who believes in a sovereign God, he believed that history should be interpreted in view of who God is and what he is doing. And you can see in, in a secular setting why that would be frowned upon. But I actually think that's the right lens in which to understand and view history and current events. And this struck me actually a couple of years ago when I was studying First and Second Kings. It struck me how everything that was happening historically during that time, uh, at least in God's narrative, the central character in God's narrative was actually his people. So whether it was the Assyrians who were rising up or whether it was the Babylonians who were rising up or whether it was the Persians who were rising up, and I'm sure there's a ton of history uh, around those uh, empires that were rising up, uh, and the landscape was shifting in terms of, you know, who was the stronger empire. Uh, the main focus uh, was still on Israel, at least in God's story in the Bible. And Israel flourished into a powerful kingdom because God made them flourish. Then Israel divided and was conquered by foreign empires because God was judging them for their idolatry. Now, even though a lot was happening in the nations, <clears throat> the focus was never really about those nations, but the focus was always about what God was doing to his people and for his people. And so if God is real and God is active, then it, it really makes sense to me that God is still acting and moving in view of his people in view of the church. Uh, so that's, that's the interpretive lens um, I guess I'm proposing here that uh, all the stuff that's going on right now, it's not as if the church is kind of like um, a component of it or like on the side of it, but I think that everything that happens in this world uh, ha is intimately and directly related to God's people and what God wants to do to his people and for his people. Now, there's a word that I have uh, heard a few times uh, this summer. And uh, again, it's, it's a word that has stuck with me. And I think maybe privately or in smaller groups, I've, I've shared this as well, but it's the word shaking. Uh, in direct and indirect ways, you know, this tiny little virus has certainly shaken things up and the patterns of life as we knew it have changed. The sense of security of knowing what lies ahead in the future has really been taken away. I don't think that all the uh, things that are rising in terms of uh, racial injustice would have gotten the level of attention that it has without this pandemic. Uh, I think this pandemic is probably accelerating things in many areas of life, uh, maybe, maybe including our reliance upon digital technologies. You know, beyond our individual lives or the social life or the economic life or the political arenas, uh, we should pray and listen to what God may be saying to his church. Uh, the first verse in our passage, it starts with that very warning and says, see that you do not refuse him who is speaking. And just to give you a little bit of context, um, the, what, what he, God is speaking is 
uh, a word of Christ, not a word of Abel, which is a word of grace. And we should not refuse uh, God who is giving us uh, this word. Now, God's people have made that mistake before. And it would be a terrible thing if uh, God's people repeated that mistake even today. Now, if you've ever experienced an earthquake, earthquakes can be scary. <laughs> it can be a little bit terrifying. And the biggest earthquake I've experienced was in Greece, and it happened during the Silk Road Prayer March. Uh, and you know, actually, ironically, it happened shortly after uh, we had a, a time of prayer around the Parthenon in Athens. And a few of us were outside, and it literally sounded like a bomb had gone off. It was like, boom! And the concrete floor that we were standing on uh, had, like, dropped. That's what it felt like. And when you're standing and you expect the ground that you're standing on to be solid, but then all of a sudden you kind of feel it moving, you know, it's, it's quite disorienting. And at the same time, uh, this disorientation, it can create a new reorienting perspective. So uh, as we walked, you know, we couldn't take the subway back. We couldn't uh, actually grab a taxi to go back. So we ended up like walking back to where we were staying. And uh, as we were walking back, you know, my, my relationship to the surrounding structures started to change because I would think like, oh, if there was like another aftershock or another earthquake, like, should I be walking under this thing, right? And so I, I think that's the power of the earth shaking, right? It really disorients and de destabilizes you. And on the flip side, I think it can reorient your perspective to something that you hadn't seen before, but now you are keenly aware of. And so it's no wonder that when God speaks or when God's glory comes, as you know, just as we sang about before, the earth shakes. Now, the author, he is quoting here from Haggai chapter 2 when he says, Yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. And Haggai, he's trying to encourage people who are discouraged. And he's saying, continue this work of rebuilding the temple, um, even though you're experiencing some obstacles that are getting in the way of rebuilding this temple. And he gives them a word from the Lord and he tells them to be strong. He tells them to work and he tells them not to be afraid. And those exhortations come with a word that God is going to shake the heavens and the earth as well as the nations. And after that shaking happens, the glory of the new temple would be greater than the glory of the former temple. And God will give peace. The author of Hebrews takes that and he sees that, you know, when Jesus came and when he died upon the cross, there was this cosmic shift that took place. And Jesus came, he brought the kingdom of God, which is ultimately the better kingdom, because it is a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And so here, the author of Hebrews, he takes that phrase from Haggai yet once more, and he starts to draw some implications as to what that means. And he says in verse 27, the phrase yet once more indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. And basically what the author of Hebrews is saying is that, you know, when God shakes the earth, uh, that shaking, he has the power to basically remove things that are shakable, things that are made in order to reveal that which is unshakable, that which cannot be shaken, namely the kingdom of God. And that happens, I think, when uh, God shakes things. Now, I think on an individual level, you oftentimes experience this uh, through something hard, something difficult, some kind of hardship. Uh, suffering has this way of really disorienting and destabilizing you. And maybe you imagine the future in a certain way, but that future gets disrupted, right? That vision of the future gets disrupted. And in a sense, it's, it's a kind of shaking that is happening to you. 
Now, suffering is never a good thing, and I, I hope you don't take what I say to mean uh, that suffering is good, but there is something about hardship, and there is something about suffering that brings to bear the things that are really important in life, right? You know, oftentimes the really important things in life are not the things that you value before the suffering. It's not the, uh, the salary or the, you know, contentment with your job or your career or the apartment that you want or anything of that nature. But after you go through something hard and something difficult, you start to realize, you know, it's, it's about relationships. It's about love. It's about a lot of those intangible things that make life meaningful. And spiritually, I think what might emerge is you have the sense that, hey, time is short. And maybe I really need to take my relationship with God more seriously, or maybe I need to invest more of my time and resources to better serve the Lord. And when a personal shaking happens, you know, the things that don't matter are kind of removed. And what you might have left are things that are actually really important and the things that um, I guess are more intangible and give life its joy and its meaning. Now, I think we can all agree that this is the most unique year uh, we've ever experienced, at least in our lifetime, right? 2020 is one of those years we we'll probably will never forget. There'll be a pre-2020 and a post-2020, I think. But um, I guess I've been thinking about the question, you know, I wonder what God is doing to the church in this year. And here's my sense. Now, this is not infallible. Of course, it's just my, my sense, my opinion. But my sense is God is really shaking up the church and wants to purify her and reorient her. Uh, I think this has been a season where, well, just a couple observations, you know, churches are, um, you know, are very programmatic in, in sometimes where it's like, well, we have this program to serve this population and this program to serve these people and things like that. And those are, of course, are not bad. But, you know, one of the things that uh, the pandemic stripped was all the programming of churches, right? Uh, this is a season where there's been a lot of you know, deep racial and political divisions exposed and not just in society, but even within churches, these things are being exposed. This is a season where, uh, I don't know if you follow like, I guess, Christian news, but this is a season uh, where it seems like, you know, a lot of churches and Christian institutions that were built on things like brand and celebrity uh, are being exposed. Um, I've been reading a fascinating book on how the vocation and the role of the pastor has really been changing over the years. And, you know, it quoted this Gallup poll, which I thought was really interesting too, but it said, you know what the most trusted profession is? 82% uh, of people trust nurses. Now, if you were to guess how many people trust clergy or pastors, what would you say? <laughs> According to the Gallup poll, 42%, right? Trust clergy or pastors, all other kinds of vocations, um, ranked higher in terms of areas of trust, honesty, and ethics. And I read that, I was like, yikes, that's, that's not a good stat. But if it's true, um, now what does that really mean? Uh, I think that means uh, to me that, you know, lay people might be the better ministers in our society than clergy. And I think I've already seen glimpses of this overseas, and I'm actually starting to see it here in New York as well. Um, where you have these really uh, amazing and spirit-filled lay people who are doing great, great ministry, and people are experiencing the presence of God uh, through their through their love and through their um, the ways that they minister to people. But if you think about it, that's actually not the first. This is not the first time that this has happened. But 
you know, I read a book called Evangelism in the Early Church a while back, and the early church actually had that very same dynamic. The church didn't grow because of these uh, pastoral specialists, but the church ultimately grew because, uh, you know, lay people, right? Ordinary, non-specialist, non-seminary trained people who uh, just kind of live their lives. They were really captivated by the beauty of Christ and the beauty of the gospel, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they um, they shared that gospel and they ministered to one another. And so uh, I, I don't think we can really underestimate the ways um, a person can minister to a person when you are filled with the spirit and you have this will to love people. And I don't know how many folks here uh, feel this way, um, but at least in the history of the American churches, uh, it's probably been very heavy on like pastors and clergy and kind of thinking, oh, you're the professional ministers and uh, anytime you know there's like uh, some kind of crisis that happens uh, it's supposed to be right the professional uh, spiritual leaders who uh, do the best ministry uh, but I don't think that's true and I certainly don't think that's what's emerging in uh, the next iteration of church and I guess to illustrate that I want to share a story that I heard this week that illustrates the the power of this dynamic now, there's a, a professor, and he was doing some research, um, and he went around to these different churches, and he interviewed about, I don't know, a dozen or so people from these various churches, and the question he asked was pretty simple. He asked them if they had an experience where they felt like God had encountered them, and all 12 people said, yes, I had an experience where I really felt like God encountered me, um, and interestingly enough, right, the, their pastor was not involved as, in any of those encounters, uh, one of the stories, one 35-year-old woman who had two children, her name was Rachel, uh, she went into more detail and she shared a story of when she felt like God was really with her. And this is what she said. She said, she's about 35 years old at the time of this interview. She says, you know, three years ago, uh, my husband went on a business trip and he had only been gone for a little more than a day, for 33 hours. And while he was gone, I got a phone call from the hotel that he was staying at, and the person on the other line said, ma'am, uh, we don't know how to tell you this, but this morning the cleaning staff found your husband in his room. Uh, something has happened, and he's no longer alive. He's at the morgue, and you have to make arrangements. And as the hotel is telling her this, I mean, can you imagine um, receiving that phone call? Uh, she said the whole room turned black and white, and she felt the life leave her body. And she had two young children. She looked at her toddler and her baby, and she thought, my life is over. That's how she felt. And somehow she manages to write down the address to the morgue, and she makes arrangements, and she has to fly to Chicago to identify uh, her husband. Now, when she arrives at this airport, she gets into the taxi, and she gives the taxi driver the destination, and they drive to the morgue. And she didn't notice at the time, but uh, the taxi driver didn't drop her off in front of the building, but he ended up just parking the car. So she arrives at the morgue and within minutes, you know, um, they wheel out the gurney and there's a body under the sheet. And she knew that as soon as they lifted that sheet, uh, it would really break her in two and she would be utterly, utterly devastated and destroyed. And she was like really... Um, afraid of that moment. And as they started to pull back the sheet to reveal her husband, 
She said she felt this hand on her shoulder and this arm around her just holding her. And do you know who it was? It was, it was the cab driver. Uh, the cab driver knew what she was about to go through and what she was about to experience. And in that moment, he decided, I am going to go with her. And so she doesn't feel alone. And I'm going to hold her while she goes through one of the most difficult moments in her life. She said in that moment, she never felt more ministered to than this cab driver, simply by being there in a difficult moment and putting his arm around her and being with her as she went through probably the worst moment she would ever go through. By the time she got back on the plane, she knew a couple things. She knew her life would never be the same, but at the same time, she says, she knew in that moment, God had encountered her and she knew that she had been prayed over and she knew she was not alone. She wasn't alone, but God was with her. Now, who was this cab driver? Uh, he was a cab driver. He wasn't a specialist. He didn't go to seminary. Uh, he was someone that God had used powerfully to minister to someone in the midst of their pain. You know, I, I tell that story because we can't underestimate um, we can't underestimate the ability we have uh, to really minister to people in these powerful ways and to, I guess, embody the presence of God for other people. And I guess I wonder if the next iteration of church ministry is going to be made up of encounters such as these. Not people uh, like myself, not from professional ministers, but really lay people who are filled with the Spirit and have this heart to minister and love those around them. And again, it doesn't, it doesn't take a seminary degree, but all it requires is kind of like this deep devotion to loving God and this deep commitment to have open hearts to connect with the messy and uncomfortable pain in the humanity of people. And I guess I wonder what if God is preparing us, and I don't mean local us, Good News Church us, but um, the wider body of church. What if God is preparing us to be that kind of church uh, during this season, uh, kind of shaking things up, removing all the unnecessary stuff that maybe we've uh, focused too much on and built up on, and uh, leaving something um, that's more aligned with the realities of the kingdom, uh, with the values of the kingdom, but also with the power of the kingdom. And if that's the case, uh, I think we got to be ready, right? I think we got to be open-hearted, open-minded, uh, I think we have to be committed and devoted to uh, hearing what he has to say, uh, but also open to being his ministers and ministering to all kinds of people in our spheres and in our circles. And of course, um, those opportunities come when it comes. You don't encounter you know, people like this woman every day. But I do think at some point those opportunities will come and um, I think it'll be up to everybody to step into those opportunities and minister to them uh, by way of the, not only the grace and the tenderness and the compassion of Jesus, but also by way of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And so I, I hope um, that's us. I hope we can have that desire. Uh, I hope we have that power. Um, but either way, you know, I could also be completely wrong. 
but I think I think this will be a this is a year where God is uh, shaking things uh, in you know in New York, but also globally, and let's try to seek and see what He's doing. And so I guess that's a first um a first step to that. You know what I um what gets a little bit tiring being a pastor. Everybody wants me to pray, like for these events and stuff. Anytime we gather, right? <laughs> Anytime we have meals, and I'm like, "Geez, I'm not, I'm not pastor in this family. I don't mean my immediate family. I mean like when I gather with cousins and aunts and uncles and stuff like that. They're always like, "All right, Sam, pray, pray for the meal, right?" Uh, I'm not really bothered by that, but I'm just a little, you know, irked by that. <laughs> uh, hey, we're body. And the church is more than the clergy. Uh, the church is more than, you know, the elders, deacons. Uh, you have to believe. If you believe in Jesus, the, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. And that means something. And so I think we can all pray too. And I think we can all try to discern and speak into one another's lives um, and try to hear from God. So um, as a first step, uh, I want to pray. And uh, if anybody, um, whatever inhibitions you have about um, prayer, I'll say this. If you have so much inhibition that it's hard to pray here, um, it'll probably be hard to step into those times where God might be calling you to minister. So step one to overcoming some of those fears and inhibitions. Uh, If you feel led to pray, if something's on your heart, uh, I'm going to ask you to be bold and to lift up a prayer. And let's pray, um, pray for the church, uh, pray for, um, let's pray for New York City. Um, Let's pray for uh, a sense of, I guess, a healthier church in the sense of uh, the gifts of the Spirit, the gifts that the Spirit has disseminated to all people would really be unleashed and the church can flourish in its fullness as God desires it to be. Uh, So after a few people pray, um, we can respond in song.